How we doing, guys? We're chilling. So good. Nice. Brooke, you're still quiet, I think. I'll talk louder. What if we switched? Let's just go. Okay. Okay. I'll just talk louder. Okay. Crazy, crazy sick theme song plays. And then... Welcome to First Draft Films from Indie to Hollywood with um, Brooke and Kate. You know us, probably, which, never mind, we've already been over this. For the record, I do think Kate and Brooke sounds better than Brooke and Kate. I don't know. I typically go alphabetically, unless something... leave it it to a poll. No. New poll. (laughs) You should poll Elon Musk and ask yes or no. Oh, okay. Never Um, mind. That's topical for this week and not... Anyways. Not whenever this gets released. So, <laughs> Kate and back. Brooke have a guest, if you didn't notice. This is Robert. For the audio people, the deep bass-ish that's not just a bass voice that you're hearing is the, the, the third person. Howdy. In case anybody was confused. So, Robert, who are yeah. you and why are you important? So, wow. <laughs> that is the most extent <laughs> existential question I've been asked in years. Who that am Kate I? just came out of nowhere. Sorry. So, I guess I'll start by explaining how I know you guys. That works. One of my lifelong pursuits is music, and we'll come back around to that at some point today because it is relevant to the bigger conversation. But I accidentally stumbled my way into a love of music when I was around like 12 years old or so, Um, and I've been playing guitar, drums, and singing fairly seriously ever since then. Fast forward to today, I am a semi-professional musician semi only because i'm not you know it's not paying the bills but i've had songs featured on the radio i've worked in professional studio environments i've been on all sorts of albums everything from metal to well hard rock to rock (laughs) so (laughs) i guess i guess my repertoire has yet to expand uh, quite the way that i would like it to but i i would say i have i have a fair bit of experience uh recording music and performing live. That is one of the greatest uh, passions of my life, which is why I'm here to talk about it today, in conjunction with the fact that I'm also a believer. And so not only is that the most foundational element of my identity as a person, but also even professionally, I work at a church. I am a ministry assistant there, and one of my greatest passions, and the reason why I'm pursuing that is because I love to study God's word and I love to learn how it applies to everyday life. So my hope today is to merge my two greatest loves, Jesus Christ and music together as we discuss what it looks like to be a Christian artist. And that is our topic for today. Very deep. Not that all of our topics have been deep, but this one definitely is (laughs) the elevation of Yakima. Well, Today we will be elevating Yakima in a spiritual sense. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so how did you meet us, Robert? Oh, that's right. That was the question I was going to answer. It's okay. This so, has all been very useful information. Let's see here. One of my friends, Noah West Bay, shout out to Noah. Actually, that's not, that's not his real name. Anybody who's seen me live, you know his real name is Jeremy. Uh, but he also played a character named Jeremy in one of your guys' short films. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I still think he stole that from us, although yeah. maybe it was the other way around. He I'm did, not sure. and that's why you should have licensed it way back when. I guess so. You can't blame me for that one. We've missed out on tens of dollars because yeah. of it. So he, he invited me to your premiere for not what we previously thought we ever potentially thought we had the capacity for. Close enough. Something like that. So... Which I was just there. over a year ago at yeah. the time of this filming. So I went, went and checked that out. I had a great time hanging out, meeting these lovely ladies, talking to them we afterwards. They don't remember me. They don't you. remember me, which is sick. We I, were talking about it the other day. It was like, I vaguely remember like a tall dude in a leather jacket coming in with Noah. Yeah. I'm like, hi, this is Robert. Hi, hi. But then my brain was so fried. I remember nothing beyond that. I yeah. feel bad. It's a scathing indictment on my memorability. 
I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I think it's it's more a testament to how scatterbrained we were on the day <laughs> of its premiere. The premiere. I will, yeah, premiere you guys, brand. Yeah. there was there was a Martinelli spill on the carpet. I do oh, remember yeah. that. I don't. So that probably that probably factored into it. Uh, anyway, so I met them. I think I followed you guys on Instagram or something to that effect. And then shortly thereafter, like a month or two later, saw a post that you guys did asking for any local musicians who wanted to contribute music yeah. to your next project. And I was like, hey, I'd love to get one of my songs in your film. So reached out to you. One of those sent, DMs. Sent a list of some of my most palatable songs for a short film. And then you guys chose the ones that you thought would work. I remastered them for the thing we were talking and I was like, hey, I'm also interested in doing a music video. So worked on a music video together last summer. It was a yes. smashing success. Brand and new surgery suit. Yeah. Look I, for the link. I feel like that's the most comprehensive. Here's why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And questions. I remember distinctly listening to because you had said these are the, the songs that I, I like. You broke it down by genre. It was very thorough. Very thorough. I, we were very impressed. And it was like 10 p.m. And we're running around doing all of these things. And you were like dying my hair, Brooke. And we were listening to Am I Bones Forget? And Brooke was like, is this guy a Christian? Because this sounds like he's talking about God. And I was like, I guess so. I don't really know. I also probably asked that night if it was Brendan Urie. <laughs> Fun fact, this guy has a voice almost identical to Panic at That's the Disco's lead singer. True. It's very true. No, it's you not. just don't listen to Panic at the Disco like I do. I have gotten some of the wildest vocal comparisons in my time. My choir teacher, my freshman and sophomore year, just insisted, Robert, someday you're going to be the finest country singer. And, <laughs> and then there was a point where I went to Wendy's and ordered like a six-piece McNugget. That's not the one. Six-piece whatever chicken nugget. And the lady <laughs> at the cash register said the same thing. She's like... You have a wonderful voice for country. But then I've also been compared to Ozzy Osbourne and Mike Patton and apparently Brendan Urie and Michael Jackson and David Bowie. So viewers, make up your own minds. I guess let us know in the comments who I sound like. <laughs> yeah. But please be merciful. That's my only be request. Kind, be kind. So our topic... When we approached Robert about being a guest and offered the topic, he became instantly very excited about yes. the topic. So we're like, yes, this was meant to be, clearly. So the topic is Christian art. Yeah. The reason why this is so near and dear to my heart is because I believe that a large portion of Christians in the world, Christian artists included, but Christian culture, especially in the West, has bought into the world's lie that art and beauty, beauty in art, is subjective. This is something that I hear all the time in the world. Art is subjective. Music is subjective. In fact, I don't think I've ever had a Christian friend that I brought this topic up with in, in casual conversation where they didn't instantly come down hard against me. I guess I'm beating around the bush. My claim is beauty is objective. Now, taste and preference is subjective, but beauty is objective. That means some things are objectively beautiful. They're beautiful all the time and that is unchangeable. And then there are things that aren't. And today I'm going to do my best to make my case and unpack that from a biblical perspective because the only reason why I make this claim is because God has standards of beauty. And so we go by God's standards, not Robert's standards, because my standards are prone to err. Well, why don't I, why don't I make my case from a yeah. philosophical standpoint, Let's and then I'll begin. I'll bring it to the Bible. So, first of all, hopefully any Christian viewers of this will be on board with me here. But if you're an unbeliever, hear me out. My worldview, which is the worldview of a Christian, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was born on earth as a man. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and he died on our behalf. Now, we're, we're sinners. We're people who have rebelled against God, and we've committed great cosmic treason against a perfectly holy and loving God. And the only just response to that on his part, because he's perfectly holy, is he has to punish us for his sins. Now, Jesus died and actually took God's wrath on our behalf, that for all those who had placed their trust in Jesus Christ to be their righteousness, would not ever have to suffer the wrath of God. Now, how this all comes 
together is I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ as the only source of my righteousness. That also means that I believe in God. I believe that he's the creator of all things. I believe that he's existed eternally. So from before time began, God always was, he always is, and he always will be. And his characteristics are immutable, which means that they do not change. So God has always been the same. He always will be the same. Beyond that, he's also revealed who he is through his word, the Bible. And so when we read the Bible, God reveals to us who he is, and he reveals certain characteristics about himself. And we understand as Christians that those characteristics, as he's described them, are the standard. So let me, let me explain it this way. We know intrinsically that murder is wrong. Not because humans have decided that murder is wrong and passed that on through some evolutionary chain of events or, or through cultures. It's because God himself is against murder. God hates when people take the lives of the innocent. The Bible says that the law of God is written on the heart of man. And so there are certain things that God has placed in our hearts, namely eternity, knowledge of his existence, and his law on a basic level. They've all been given to us so that any person from any culture in any time can intrinsically know that killing another person and not in the context of justice is wrong. So there's provision for taking somebody's life as the only just response to an egregious offense, but murder, slaying an innocent person, is evil and always will be evil because God has given us his standard and told us, these are the rules I care about the lives of every cre- every th- created being. You are not to dishonor the image of God that I've placed in other people by taking their life for no cause. So, God is the standard for all things. His word is the standard for all things in, in life and in practice. We don't rely on ourselves to come up with the best way of living. The only person who knows what's best in every area of our life is the one who made us, gave us the breath of life, and set us here for a purpose. So, just as much as God and his word is our standard when it comes to justice and the law and how we treat other people, he's also shown that he is the standard that we are to evaluate all beauty by. And so, essentially I'd boil it down this way. Here's my question for you guys. Is God beautiful? Yes. Yeah. Any, any Christian viewing at home should affirm, yes, God is indeed beautiful. God is just, and so he's the standard of justice. God is beautiful, so he is also the standard of beauty. Now, hopefully, that makes a little bit of sense. If you're, if you're a believer listening at home, and you might have started disagreeing with me at the start, hopefully that's softening you up a little bit. Allow me to make my case even further. These are the words of David, who we know was the, the king of Israel for a time, and the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. In Psalm 27, verse 4, he writes, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. This verse kind of distills his entire life's focus. This is a godly man describing what the affections and pursuits of a godly man should be. This is the model that that should be characteristic of the life of a righteous person. His life's focus is to live before the face of God. There's a fancy Latin term for this called coram deo. Essentially, it just means he delights in God and God's beauty and his character and his love so much that he wants to give every single aspect of his life to God. He wants to honor God from the moment he puts his head down on whatever sort of pillow they had way back when to the time that he wakes up the next morning to the time that he eats every element of his day. He wants to consecrate for the Lord. He wants to set it aside and it should be just one more way that he enjoys God and his good gifts and worships him for it. And so, part of that, 
part of that living before the face of God, living the sort of righteous life that brings God pleasure, is a desire to witness the beauty of God. So first of all, he's established that God is indeed beautiful and that that beauty is worth pursuing. The final element here that I want to tackle before we move on to really diving into the beauty aspect, and this, it's important that we understand this as we proceed. The final thing that he says in verse 4 is he, his desire is to inquire in God's temple. And so, he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, he wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and he wants to inquire in his temple. So the inquiring in his temple, he, his desire is to seek out God's will for all things. It's not, he's not relying on himself to provide all the tricks and all the cool ways to like scheme and make things happen and like get on God's good side. It's like, no, I am not going to put any trust in myself. I'm trusting in you, God. I'm going to inquire in your temple. I want to know how you want me to live. And that, that is going to be the, the characteristic way of uh, my life. So... All that being said, there is a condition to seeing God as beautiful. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And so, before we dive into the, the practical arguments that I have and, and the, the practical discussion on how all of this ties together with modern art, Christian art, that sort of thing, you have to understand Discerning the beauty of God is a spiritual matter. It's not something that anybody can just do of their own power. We're told by Jesus himself, the pure of heart are the only ones who can see God. And the important thing for us to know, whether you're a believer or non-believer, the only way to be pure of heart is to be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. So, for all discussion about art and beauty moving forward. If you don't trust in Jesus Christ as your righteousness, if you haven't given your life to him, everything I'm going to say tonight will be irrelevant and I won't blame you for thinking that this is all stupid because ultimately the natural man, man as we are, sinful, without God's grace, cannot see him. It's only until we've experienced the grace of God by the forgiveness of our sins that we're able to be made pure in heart by God to see God and enjoy him and to understand who he is and what he's all about. So, I feel like that's my, my lengthy, uh, long-winded introduction for this discussion. The key point is, God is beautiful, therefore his standard of beauty is the standard. Yeah, yeah. Th that actually reminds me a lot of something you talked to me about when, um, when we went to Oregon and traversed eastern oregon which if you've never done mm. i highly oh, recommend beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um it, it was like this john day fossil the area. john day yes. national yeah, monument yeah. Um, i yeah. love that place yeah it was yeah. stunning and, and otherworldly we oh, yeah. am amazing but we were we were heading south and it was the first one we came to and we get out of the car and we have no idea what to expect we've never heard of this never seen it before and we just hike up this little half a mile trail and just see the most incredible sights I've seen in my whole life. And you said something to me about subcreation and, and the beauty of it. And I, I don't know what you said reminded me of that. And that was a mm -hmm. bit very long winded. That is the, the reality. We're also told in the Psalms that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. All you have to do, and this is this is why the Bible says that man is without excuse. We don't get to go before God someday and be like, well, God, I didn't know you were there. Okay. So you mean to tell me, honestly, in the deepest depths of your heart, you could go outside and witness a thunderstorm and consider all of the, all of the many magnificent aspects of our planet and then to consider the, the astronomical and practical impossibility that it would be for all of these things to originate with no chance and no true first cause. And then also to expect people to assign any sort of meaning to life. There's, we understand fundamentally, you, you cannot look at creation and say, well, certainly there's no God. This all happened by chance. And because, because God's law is written on our hearts, we can know that there is a transcendent God who is outside of time because we 
we exist and operate by transcendent realities. You can be the most stone-cold atheist. The second you get punched in the face, you want retribution against the person who punched you. That right there proves to you that there is a God. There is a transcendent reality. There is cause and effect. These things don't happen by chance. The world around us does not happen by chance. Anyway, all that to say, even beyond proving the existence of God, we also know that God is beautiful, not just because it's written in his word, but because he's displayed it in every corner of the planet, whether it's the John Day fossil beds, gorgeous area, highly recommend, or the redwood forests in California, or the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia, or I've never been to China, so I don't know like the names of locations, but I have seen some of the <laughs> screen. I don't know. I've seen some crazy screensavers Guilin, from Guilin, the Karst Mountains, the, yeah, the ones that look like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what there. I'm talking about. It's, it's glorious. Okay. I've been there. So our entire planet is covered in so much variety of ecosystems and all sorts of natural beauty. That's because God is beautiful. He appreciates beauty. He appreciates creating beautiful things for other people to enjoy. And he takes pride in his work. As we think about what he's displayed for us in creation, hopefully gears will start to turn. If you're a Christian artist, there are things God has basically, not only has he given us a very good set of instructions for life in here, but even in the realm of art, we have the most beautiful art to observe at our disposal. And that should tell us everything we need to know about how to proceed. Now, having said that, I'll still describe some of that here, here in a moment. So don't tune out just yet. <laughs> Or at all, please. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm doing a really bad job selling this. Uh, yeah. Don't ever say you're doing a bad job, because even if you are, you don't want to draw attention to it. <laughs> okay. Mm. Good life advice. Yeah. Also, probably you're not doing a bad job at all, but insecurity. We, we don't think you're doing a bad no, job. No, we don't. Okay. And, and for people in general, just self-criticism in a negative way is really not beneficial. <laughs> Now, self-examination from an honest standpoint. Yep. Anyway. That's but that's a t- different than, that's a I'm topic doing for a, a bad job. That's a, that's a topic <laughs> for a different time. Now, I have made some serious claims. It seems like you guys agree with me, art being objective. Should I break things down in terms of what God's standards are for artists? Whatever your was in your notes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So proceed. So God has a standard. God is the standard of beauty, and He's also got standards of beauty on a technical level. So we're going to look at things from a technical standpoint here for a moment, uh, and then we'll talk about things from a not technical but intentional standpoint, and then uh, we'll get into some application. But There's a fascinating account in Exodus chapter 31. At this point in the book, God has been instructing Moses about how he's supposed to create the tent that houses the Ark of the Covenant. In Exodus chapter 31, it's recorded that the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. To devise artistic designs. Now, passage goes on and it gets into the specifics of building this tent. But I want you guys to notice. God informs us here about specific people. But this same, these same things apply to every single person that God has made. If you have an ability to do something, it's not because of your own awesomeness and your own ability to accomplish It's because God has given you the ability. God is the one who forms us in our mother's wombs. And so for anyone with artistic inclinations, we are only inclined that way because God has chosen to share part of his character with us. So thinking about God, he has communicable attributes and attributes that are exclusive only to him. So there are some attributes of his, like his holiness, that we don't get. We, because we're born with a sin nature, we're not inherently holy the way that God is inherently perfectly holy. And so it's only when God redeems us 
by the blood of his son and then works in us through the power of his Holy Spirit to gradually sanctify us, to make us holy over a lifetime of walking with Jesus, that we start to become gradually, progressively more holy, and then we're glorified in the next life. We're made holy in eternity. However, in this life, we don't experience God's holiness in a communicable way. We're, we're given righteousness, but holiness is not inherent to people. Now, take something like creativity. We know that God is creative. Go to the zoo if you don't believe me. We know that God is creative. He likes variety. He likes making beautiful things. He likes making exciting, interesting things. He likes telling grand stories. The list goes on. God is a very creative God. He revels in his creativity. And he revels in making people to be creative. It's important that we recognize if we're creative, it's because God has shared something of himself with us. And when he shares that with us, it's not so that we could glorify ourselves. I might be the most creative person in the world, but that doesn't mean that I should now make it my life's goal to get people to worship me for being creative. The reason God gave me that is so that I could point back to him and say, man, God has given me all of this and I want to use all of this to direct people back to the one who did it because it's incredible that God would be so generous to give a, a weak person like me this level of creativity. So coming back to Exodus 31, God gives people ability. He also gives them intelligence. Whatever degree that might be, understand there are no two people in the world that have the same level of ability or intelligence. God designs people very specifically in ability, intelligence, knowledge, their, and their proclivity towards craftsmanship. So I guess what I'm, what I'm bringing this all back to is God has established that every person will be given different traits and that, you know, that's what makes us unique. We all have different communicable attributes from God talking specifically today about creativity and, and artistic expression because, well, I'd consider myself an artist. I know art's important to you guys. We're Christians, so this, <laughs> this is the topic. Now, it might sound like I'm about to backpedal on my thesis here, but his standard of excellence is different from person to person. We have to understand that God has created everybody with a unique level of intelligence versus ability versus... Whatever the, might, whatever the case might be. However, while the tools might be different for each person, the expectation is the same. So the expectation is we are called, as specifically as believers, and I preached a sermon on the parable of the talents, that that parable boils down to God has entrusted every believer with different circumstances, different abilities, different levels of wealth, all sorts of things, all of the gifts that God gives to believers, he expects us to bring a dividend, a return on his glory with that. And so regardless of who you are, God has equipped you with a certain level of intelligence, certain level of physical ability, certain level of creativity, certain level of personality, whatever the case might be. God has made you a, a beautiful, uniquely crafted person who is important to him. And his expectation is that you would recognize the beauty of who you are so that you can maximize that to bring glory back to him by worshiping him with all of the good gifts that he's given to you. Does that make sense? I hope that, that, I hope that doesn't sound too uh, man-worshipy. The, the point is, we are, we are horrible sinners, and yet God has, takes great pleasure in making human beings to be beautiful. We're made in God's image, and we all have value because he loves us and he made us. And, and the expectation is that we would use every gift that we've been given to glorify him, to bring glorified, glory to his son. So, on a technical level, this, I know it sounds really wishy-washy, God has an expectation. The expectation is that we would do our best with what we've been given to honor him and to glorify his name. And so from a technical level, there is a standard of beauty. It's not the same for every single person because not every person is a Mozart. I was having a conversation with my brother who's also a Christian musician and uh, I was lamenting the fact that a music project I'm working on doesn't sound as majestic as uh, some, some of the source material that 
kind of gave me inspiration for it. And he was telling me about how he used to get really down on himself listening to the Beach Boys because <laughs> he was like, I'll never be as good as Brian Wilson. But his realization was, well, Brian Wilson was the best Brian Wilson there ever was. Liam Clark is the best Liam, sorry, I'm name dropping you. Liam Clark is the best Liam Clark there ever will be. <laughs> and so Brian Wilson could never be a good Liam Clark and vice versa. And I, I guess that's, that's what it boils down to. Not everybody is equipped musically or artistically if, if you're a visual artist or whatever the case might be. We're not all equipped exactly the same way. And God doesn't have the exact same expectation. We're not all supposed to go paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. However, he does expect that we will accurately assess the gifts that we've been given, be grateful for them, and then use them to glorify him, whether that's through entertaining other people in a way that is in line with God's character and his expectations for our conduct, or whether that's you know, creating a worship song that people sing on a Sunday morning at a church. In all things that we're to do, we are to glorify God. And so we're his expectation on a technical level is that we would use our gifts well to to the best of our abilities and that we would we would nurture our gifts, be good stewards of them. So that's the technical standpoint. From a moral standpoint, here is here's God's standard that we should apply as believers to any sort of entertainment that we consume or participate in. Art, I guess. I, I shouldn't conflate that with entertainment because art is not always designed to entertain. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, as people who are given the ability to create art, there's the technical expectation of, of what we should pursue when we're making art so that we would honor God and make him happy with our, our creations. But then there's also the moral aspect where we are called to think about, to dwell on, and then, by inference, to create things that also promote these things. Things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Now, I would say th that is the framework of, of what we should be making if we are Christian artists, but also what we should be consuming as far as art goes, whether that's TV, music, movies. And this is the point where it, it does start to get a little bit difficult because there are ostensibly Christian artists plenty of them that make things that I don't think actually meet these standards. And I would venture to say that they are not pleasing to God. Then there are also secular artists that create things that seem to fit this list. But then there's a problem. The problem is Satan is also capable of making beautiful things. In first John four, we're called to discern the spirits. We're, we're told repeatedly throughout the Bible that Satan and his cohorts are capable of masquerading as angels of light. Satan was the, the most beautiful of God's creations in eternity past. Now, there's all, all sorts of eschatological arguments about when the fall happened. People, people will get all wild about the timeline and stuff. I'll tell you this. We know that Satan fell at one point. I don't know if there's going to be a second time that he gets cast down out of heaven or whatever. Point is, the fact that we have sin in the world tells me that Satan did, in fact, fall at one point. So, he started out as an angel. He was the most beautiful of God's creation. He was so prideful about his beauty, he, he decided that he, he deserved the worship that God received. And so, in his rebellion and his pride, God cast him out of heaven. Now, all that being said, Satan is at work in the world around us through horrible, ugly things like violence he is at work in things like corrupt government. He's at work in things like drug addiction. There's all sorts of horrible, horrendous, ugly things that Satan is at work in to destroy people and to destroy their souls, to lead them away from God. Now, he also uses beautiful things to lead people away from God. He leads people away with promises of success, prosperity, security. He leads people away through family values. Think about... 
a lot of the conservatism in the United States. Now, this <laughs> don't don't look so scared. It's gonna Where's, be a spicy episode. This, I didn't a, think I look scared. Oh, sorry. I just I I always feel like I I want to like reassure people. Like I promise you, I'm not a crazy like socialist. We're gonna bring. I'll make sure that we tie this all together. No, but think, it's think okay. About it. Being spicy is okay. The the reason why our country is in the position it's in is because true believers, true Christians, have bought into this this lie. It's, there's a godless form of conservatism that has taken root in our country where there are many people that they're not, they're not conservative because they know that's the best way to honor and please God. They don't care about honoring God. So I get, well, okay, I guess we're not talking about real Christians here. The, the point is there are many people that promote conservative Christian, Judeo-Christian values, but they're not doing it because they want to honor the God who made us. They don't, they don't care about pleasing him with their lives. Their end goal is their own prosperity. And so they've decided, well, this is the best way to achieve prosperity, which it is. God has made the, the world. And so it makes sense that if you follow his rules, you're going to have a better time in life. However, the attitude is totally reversed. We don't, we don't pursue God's ways to receive blessing from him. We pursue God because we love him, whether or not he blesses us in the ways that we think or not. Honoring God and enjoying God should not be dependent on circumstance. Think about Job. Job was faithful to God to the end when the worst befell him. I would argue that most, most professing believers in the United States would have renounced God and died like that if they were in Job's shoes because they don't go to God because they love him and they're thankful for him. They go to God because God bless America. God's going to firm up my stocks and my savings account. And he's going to make sure that my kids have a really good public school to go to where they're not teaching them transgenderism. That's, <laughs> that is the mindset. And you see it anywhere that people fight for Judeo Christian values, but they, this, this is a whole, <laughs> this is, this is a whole, whole can of worms. So kind of essentially a surface level Christian, yeah. but somebody who maybe believes in God, but doesn't actually take it seriously enough to apply it fully to their life. Yeah. So the question is, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Or is he an inconvenience? Or, yeah. Is, or is he a or means a to nice an end? a nice idea. Because for most people, he's a means to an end. I go to church on Sunday mornings because I want to feel good about myself. I want God to bless me with health, wealth, and happiness. And that's why I do, that's why I obey God. It's because I, I just know, <clears throat> God, if I do enough good stuff, you're going to make my life awesome. It's, that is not true Christianity. Being a true Christian is recognizing the, that we of our own power will only ever sin against God because by nature we hate God and we want to rebel against him. Recognizing that the only one who could ever make us right with God is God and trusting in him and him alone to provide our righteousness with Jesus Christ and his blood, his perfect life, and then submitting to him as Lord. So it's, it's belief, it's trust in him to be our righteousness. And then it's submitting to him as the Lord of our life. I am not the one steering this vessel. God is the one who does it. It is my job to submit to him and ask him how he would have me live. I don't live for my own happiness. I seek to glorify God by obeying him and by loving other people. And because he's working on my heart, that actually does make me happy where before knowing God, I wouldn't have been that way. The point that I was getting at here is Satan, <laughs> coming back to, to what I was saying about Satan being able to produce beautiful things. There are things like, again, empty conservatism, where on its face, it seems beautiful. It's great to adamantly fight for family values and for marriage as defined by God. But when you're only doing that for your own benefit and not because you actually love God and desire to serve him and submit to him as Lord, you are self-deceived and, and Satan is using good things to bring about destruction, destructive ends. And so that's, that's why we have to be careful. It adds a, a layer, an extra layer of complexity in how we as Christians deal with consuming art and creating art. I don't know if you guys want me to play some 
examples or if you'd like me to talk about some of my own personal experience with art because I even just in preparing for this podcast I've been pretty convicted about some of the art that I've created in my time so I don't know if if that's worth talking about here or sure okay so my my band I mean it, it it sometimes it's a band sometimes it's a solo project is Hesher Cats and a few years ago I recorded and produced an album called Not the Man Not the Place and it was inspired because inspired by uh, I was I was living in Seattle at the time this is going to sound super lame so <laughs> don't judge me I was I was trying online dating for the first time and so I was, I was dating people who professed to be poli- believers in Seattle and I was horrified by the amount of sexual immorality that was going on not just in secular dating culture in Seattle, but even within, I had quite a few dates that I could not have gotten out of any faster. (laughs) Oh no. Just, it was shocking to me when you live in Seattle and you work downtown and you see the pride parades, like you know that, that the city is sexually immoral. Then you try dating and even in like the Christian sphere in that city, unbelievable to add to that at the time i was living in a house i was renting the bottom floor of a house that was like right across the street from a strip club and every night coming home from work i had to go in front of that building i i worked a late shift at a restaurant so i'd come home like really really like late early in the morning if you know what i mean there was not a day of the week that that parking lot was not completely packed and it was heartbreaking to think about all of these men taking their sexuality and using it to worship themselves and destroy themselves rather than using it in a way that's honoring to God to bless other people. So I, I'm, I'm like drowning in this, in this culture, of sexual immorality. The more, you know, the more I, I've dwelled on it over the years, it's like, man, why didn't I just like get up and move somewhere? <laughs> but welcome to Yakima. Yeah, <laughs> We're so, very glad to yeah, have yeah, you yeah, here. Yeah. So I'm, I'm here now, <laughs> but there's a male character in this, uh, in this album, because it is sort of a concept album. He represents all of the the sexual immorality that was weighing so heavily on my heart. And so, in the context of the album, the dude worships himself. He, he doesn't worship God, so the album opens with him with a, with music about him worshiping himself and, and living his life for his own pleasure. Now, I tried to be a little bit less heavy-handed than that in the lyrics. I don't know. You guys can be the judge of that. And then there's allusions to a porn addiction and then a, well, he goes to a strip club and then he starts cheating on his wife. And again, these are all things that I tried to like convey through the music and you know, some, there's sometimes allusions to it in the lyrics, but I'm trying to tell this story and I was doing my best to not make it just like, and then he, you know, I tried to make it a little bit more poetic. Now use some subtlety. So the point of all this was that I wanted to, through this album, tell a really dark story that showcases the profound impact and power of the grace of God because God actually saves this character in the the album. However, it's only in the final song of the album. So Am I Bones Forget is the song where he's finally convicted. He's grappling with the weight of his sin and he's finally realizing just how deeply he's not just hurt other people through his actions and his way of living but he also realizes that there is a god who loves us and he's sinned against this god his whole life and and so the guitar solo of that song is supposed to sound like breaking down and repenting of sin and turning to god so where my conviction factors in in all of this is overall The album is a concept album that tells the story that's most worth telling if you're a storyteller. The story of God taking a broken, wicked person, just like you or me, and redeeming them, washing them clean, washing them of their sins, and giving them a new purpose in worshiping God. That that is the intention with the overall arc of my album. However, as I've matured in my faith and looked back, and granted, I'm you know, I've got a whole lifetime ahead of me to, to study God's word and to walk with him and grow in maturity. So, But in, in the years since releasing that album, I've, I've grown in conviction about it because I realize 
I wouldn't judge somebody if they thought that the album was a celebration of sin. Because while I did my best to to frame the lyrics and even in my vocal performance kind of frame everything in a light of it's not an abject celebration of, of any of the topics, the sinful topics that are addressed early on in the album. There's a very large portion of the album that really is a very bleak, dark, depressing look at the depravity of man. And then really there's only like maybe five minutes at the end devoted to the glory of God. And, you know, at the time I was like, well, but that'll make, that'll make the grace of God look even better if we, you know, if we showed like just how desperate the situation is. I guess I'm, I'm referring to myself as we, but, (laughs) but, but ultimately I've been convicted, especially recently, just thinking about the fact that there is a place for highlighting the depravity of sin in art because without the knowledge of sin, we couldn't have an understanding of what we have in God, right? But there is also the danger of inadvertently glorifying sin by giving it more airtime than it's due. And so that's been something I've been wrestling with over time is just like, how, how do I really feel about that album? Cause I, I love the last track still do always will, but I do, I do have a hard time with it. And I especially have a hard time when other believers go and listen to that album because I don't want to give them the wrong impression of even just the album artwork. The album artwork is, is, was supposed to be a snapshot from the story, but it was a snapshot from the dark part of the story. It, it, it's creepy album artwork. I mean, that's, that's what it is. And rock bands, what do you say? Yeah, but I, it was a missed opportunity for me to glorify God with something beautiful. And instead I inadvertently propped up something shocking and horrific, which I believe I shouldn't have. Now that's not to say that there isn't a place for shock, not, not in a, not in a gore sense, but again, coming back to the idea if we don't give people the knowledge of their sin, what reason do they have to turn to God and to repent? So there, there is the place of informing people about sin and what it leads to. But that's not, that's not what we focus on. We emphasize the grace of God and the glory that he's due because of who he is, not just how desperately wicked sin is. So that's been, that's been heavy on my heart. Um, and it applies broadly to our application today for Christian artists. So God is the standard of beauty. He expects us to pursue excellence because he has given us and equipped us with gifts that are to be used to the maximum for his glory. And then he's also set a moral framework of the types of things that we are to dwell on and to create and to pursue. And ultimately the objective is to bring glory to his name. So whether we sleep or we eat, we do all to the glory of Christ. Whether you play piano for your worship team on Sunday morning or whether you play piano to entertain your friends and families, both of those are equally valid ways of glorifying God. One we formally recognize as worship, right? Like that's, yeah, I'm on the worship band at my church. There's a way in which you can use your gifts to entertain people and it is worshipful to God because you are using the good gifts that he's given you in such a way where you are glad in your heart towards God and you're not doing it for yourself and your glory, you are excited to share what you've been given to love other people well through your art because you know that it brings God pleasure and that's, that is your desire. Now, having said all that, one of the topics that I'm still wrestling through is what to do with secular music that seems to fit the criteria because on the one hand we know that uh well let me <laughs> let me uh so here's the question what do we do as people who live in the world right we're not we're not separated from the world most of us well if you're listening to this you're not amish so <laughs> um so that mean that means that <laughs> We live in a real world full of all sorts of media from believers and non-believers alike. The question is, what do we do? How do we experience entertainment and art in a way that's glorifying to God? And I, I guess I, 
typically when I preach, I like to have very rigid notes because I, I'm a really scatterbrained person. I didn't have time to prepare some crazy rigid set of notes before I came on today. So we're, we're jumping around a little bit, but I wanted to play a few examples of songs so that we can discuss thoughts on them and hopefully tie this whole conversation into a practical takeaway for Christian artists and a challenge for non-Christians who might be listening to this podcast. So I want you guys to listen to what I'm about to play and tell me whether you think it's beautiful or not. Okay. We're going to start with this. And I'm going to fade us out there. I'd like to hear some impressions. Do you think that's a beautiful song or not? Uh, from what I've heard, no. Really? Okay. I mean, it's all the same dynamic level. Okay. So you're getting real technical here. It's jarring to the ears. Hmm. Okay. It's not like, oh, this is just horribleness. It's fine but i wouldn't say it's beautiful personally okay from what i heard interesting from what i heard interesting what would you say brooke i like organs okay <laughs> <laughs> i actually picked this song because surface level i think it's a really i think objectively it's a beautiful song i like the instrumentation uh, i i understand what it's you're like saying very about the dynamics. aggressive the context of the album is always important i'm a big fan of of <laughs> albums that the songs actually it matters where they're placed in the track list but that's a whole other conversation From Brooke a, doesn't listen to oh, you didn't need to tell everyone that we can cut it out she so, puts the artists on shuffle and then comes and talks to me about how things don't make sense so from an objective standpoint <laughs> when I when I listen to that song on a technical level it sounds like people who understand how to play their instruments and are doing it well they've arranged a song that isn't just a random jumble of chaos noises and there's there's melody there so there's there's a level of ability i don't know these people personally maybe they're capable of playing songs 50 billion times as cool but i'm sorry to disagree with here <laughs> with okay. you here kate this song i would say objectively beautiful song now having said that can you guess what this song is called <laughs> yeah so I this have no clue yeah so this this is a song called devil church by Ghost. It's a satanic pop rock band. I chose this song to illustrate the point that, well, it was it's beautiful to my ears. I'd say objectively there's a level of excellence there. I think it is a beautiful song. Again, Satan can use things that are beautiful on the surface to steer us. Right. In a roundabout way, I guess you are. <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> that was unnecessary for me. <laughs> the point is, Satan does use things that on their surface are beautiful to steer us away from worship of the true God. And so while this band says that their Satanism is all just part of their act and it's all just, you know, a costume thing, the reality is whether it's ironic or not, they're still worshiping Satan in their music. So it's like, well, you can, you can say you're being ironic. That doesn't change the content coming out of your mouth and it doesn't out change of the heart. The mouth speaks. Yeah. Out of the abundance of the heart. The abundance the, of yeah. The heart. And so the point is, whether they are atheist or whether they are people who on Friday nights you find them at midnight sacrificing goats to Satan, they're worshiping Satan either way. So the song might be beautiful on a surface level, but I would say because of the intention and the objective behind the song itself, as a believer, I have to reject it. And so I actually have... I. I used to enjoy listening to Ghost, and I, I kind of went along. There was a time where I, I foolishly was like, yeah, well, they, you know, they say the whole Satanism thing's a joke, and the music is really catchy, and there's lots of really melodic songs, and, and they're very palatable and nice to listen to. But the reality is, whether it's a joke or not, as a believer, I have to reject them, because what they stand for is contrary 
to what I believe in and trust in and love. Now, why don't we pick another song here? This is one. You guys may be... No. I'm getting PTSD. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I'll stop. I'll stop this song here. Uh, that song is ostensibly a Christian song. It's made. It's played on Christian radio. That's where I first heard it. But if you really, if you listen to the lyrics themselves, the content could be just as fitting with any sort of like Eastern mysticism. Because so th- really, this song boils down to life is hectic, and the solution: breathe. Just breathe. And they say, you know, come rest at my feet. And I think there's a reference to God in here somewhere too. But none of none of the lyrics here actually offer any sort of biblical truth to them. It Really, it's just a, a promotion of new age practice, really. Just deal with your problems by breathing. That is not, that is not what God tells us to do. <laughs> so I hope that you guys recognize the contrast between the two. We've got one song that from a technical standpoint, I would say is done well. I'd say from a technical level, it's beautiful to some extent. However, there's only wickedness behind that beauty. On the other hand, there's this other song that is supposed to be about beautiful things. It's supposed to be a Christian song. It's supposed to be for God. However, not only is it from a technical standpoint unimpressive and not excellent, but lyrically there is nothing there glorifying God. And in fact, it's steering people away from God. And overall blandness, yeah. I'd say. And, and so I guess if I, if I were to give a, a marching orders to Christian artists tuning in, I encourage you to look up photos of John Day fossil beds. Really, really look. Start to pay attention to the patterns of the leaves in the world around you. Today it's December, and there were some awesome snowflakes falling, and, and they landed on my windshield earlier, and they were big enough that I could see all of the different patterns and intricate designs in each specific snowflake. Start to notice some of the beauty that God has placed around you. And really think about it. When you listen to the Christian music on the radio, or you see the Christian films out there, ask yourself, does this really exemplify the sort of excellence that should be reserved for the kind of God that we worship? The unfortunate answer is no. We, we live in a professed Christian culture that says that they love God, they say they love God's values, and they do all sorts of things. They make all sorts of music that they say is for him, but it does not meet the standards of excellence. And, you know, I'm not, again, coming back to uh, the technical standards that I went over earlier. The standard is different for everybody in the sense that we're all equipped differently, but I, I guarantee you, just as a casual listener, that is not the best that that man could have done. I, and I also have the insider perspective on the Christian music industry. You know, Sony, Sony music corporation is a business and they have targeted a niche market, which is Christians who want music. And so they'll find anybody to come sing some nice little happy, optimistic lyrics, and they'll just slap a Christian label on it and pretend like that's the thing. As Christians, we're called to dwell on things that match Philippians four, eight. The, the point is, we are supposed to fill ourselves with things that match God's moral standards and standards of excellence and beauty because that's who he is. And so if if we want to live like God and if we want to create like God and honor him with the things that we create, we have to align ourselves with what matters to him. And we also have to consider what is worthy to bring before him. And I guess to wrap this all up, I would encourage you to study God's word to, to find his standards because ultimately that's going to be a lot more beneficial to you than any conversation with me will ever be. Study God's word to know what God cares about and what he's like and ask him to help you create art that lifts other people up and glorifies him above all else because that that is the only way that we have any hope of making anything worthwhile in an eternal sense because I could make the greatest song ever 
and it could be made for my own purposes and my own glory. And the second I die, that means nothing because my soul will forever be separated from God, assuming in that instance that I'm an unbeliever because only an unbeliever would do that. The point is, (laughs) as Christians, we are called to be focused on God and his kingdom in this lifetime. And so as artists, we have the joyful responsibility to make art and we are called to make art that is excellent and that does uphold and promote and glorify who he is, including the aspects of his character. Indeed. Well said. What a beautiful way to say Christians don't have to make terrible art. Not only do you not have to, you you are, you are called to not. So called to excellence. If, if you if you are a, a Christian who has been lazy and apathetic about your art, repent today. Seek your God, study his character, and make art that reflects what we understand of God from his word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we look forward to seeing what you come up with. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that about sums it up. Uh, I think we should cut. Thank you there, so yeah. much, Robert, for yep. joining us today. We've had quite a long a long conversation about this. It's been wonderful. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Thank you all for watching or listening. Uh, like, subscribe, do whatever you do on this platform you're listening or watching on. And we'll see you next time. Yes. <laughs>